Welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. Matthew 16. I just feel like we are going to um, um, experience a move of God today, and I want to give time for that to happen after the Word, all right? So I want to jump right into the Word. Matthew 16. I feel like I sense... Um, the weight of God, uh, I, and, I, and, and I feel like God wants to do something. Let me just leave it at that. Matthew 16, and we've been discussing this month, we've been talking about um, vision. We didn't call it a vision series, but I've just been casting vision for this house regarding um, how we want to how God is positioning our church to advance. I don't know about anybody else's church, but I know here at Hungry for God, how God, what God is calling us to do in this season. And um, last week I talked about how God is, has, has called this house to be an equipping center, that this church is going to be a church that's going to move away from the traditional pastoral model that many of you probably were used to seeing or what you've, what you've grown up in. What do I mean by that? The pastoral model of leadership was a church where you came in and you were the sheep and you came and you got filled up the rows and the pews and your shepherd or your pastor's job was just to care for you and your needs and take care of you. A good pastor. His job was just to keep you encouraged, to keep you motivated, to make sure you don't backslide, to make sure that you uh, are just saved, all right? It's a good pastor. And they help you meet all those other needs in your life, those emotional, relational needs. They counsel you when they need to counsel you, pray for you when they need to pray for you. They do the, the, uh, the funerals for the family members. They do the funerals. They marry you when you need to be married. And all those things are wonderful. And what I just described is what a good pastor does. But God is actually... God has called this house to be more than just that type of church. And again, many of you are like, well, what other church is there? What other, what other type of church is there? And so what I introduced last week and the week before is that I was talking about how there's a new wine for new wineskin. And, and, and wine is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And wineskin is the, is the facility that is designed to help sustain what the Spirit is doing. And so when the Holy Spirit is doing a new thing, the wineskin must adjust. The structure must adjust. Jesus said, I can't pour new wine into what? Old wineskin. Because if I put the new wine in the old wineskin, the old wineskin, he said, will break. It cannot handle it. So if God is doing a new thing in your life, you have to realize that a new, that wineskin in a, in, a, in, a, um, in a setting of an organization means our structure changes. In your own personal life, that wineskin might be your mindset, the way you think, that there might be a way you're used to doing things that then God wants to start doing something new in your life and it requires you to have a new mindset. You have to change the way you think because God is doing something new in your life. And so part of walking with God is that we have to realize that God said, I'm a God, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. And everybody loves new things, right? 
But if I want new things, then I have to do new things because I have to change. Everybody wants new things, but no one wants to change. Amen? And it was Albert Einstein who said the definition of insanity is to do the same things over and over again, expecting different results. That was a gist. That quote is so genius. Definition of insanity. Insane people do the same things and are expecting something new to happen. And they get mad when things are not changing and they keep doing the same thing. I think the church is 80% insane right now. We do everything the same way. And then on top of that, we'll say, well, we're going to do it differently. So <laughs> we're not going to call our service a service. We'll call it an experience, okay? We call it an experience. But then when you come to the experience, it looks just like the old thing. <laughs> the church has a, we have a tendency to just rename things, but then it's absolutely the same. And we, don't, and we, don't, we have the same, we don't have the same, um, we, we get the same results we always had. Now, we talked about in Ephesians 4, in verse 11, the Bible says that, the, the Bible talks about the ascension gifts of Christ, the ascension gifts. I said it's going to get heavy today, right? Um, Ephesians, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, talks about the, um, the fivefold leadership, fivefold gifts, that Christ gave five different types of leadership to the church. Again, Probably 70% of the church is ignorant to what those five-fold ministries are. We know about a pastor, and we typically just call any leader in the church a pastor. And even if you call a pastor a pastor, okay, cool. But it's important that you understand what all five bring to the table. Over the last 400 years, we've seen a resurgence of three offices in the church. The pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher. We've, we've seen those three things primarily over the, I mean, predominantly in the last three years. I mean, I'm sorry, the last 400 years. And more recently in the 80s and 90s, we started seeing a resurgence of prophets because most of the church didn't believe God, people, God, was, God was still sending prophets to the earth or that people had a prophetic office. People didn't believe that people um, that God was allow a person to be a prophet. That Jesus was the was when I'm sorry, not only Jesus, but when the Bible was written, that God no longer needed any prophets. That was what was being spread by um, uh, uh, Bible schools and seminarians, for large for a large part from like the 1800s all the way into the 1900s. But when but the Holy Spirit began to pour out new wine. And in the 70s and 80s, we began to see a real resurgence of people, of prophetic movements, um, almost like how it was in the Bible when um, there was a school of prophet and there were a bunch of people who were prophets all together. And um, people began to realize, like, wait a minute, these people actually have a gift, all right? They really are prophesying and they are declaring things, mysteries and secrets and insights um, about God and about what's to come in ways that are uncommon to what we're used to. And so prophets are extremely important because the Bible itself is a prophetic book. 
And, and, and God himself said, I desire that you may all prophesy, but he also, he also has raised up these fivefold leadership. So he, Christ himself gave some to be apostles. Now, um, we call this the ascension gifts because prior to that, the Bible says that when Christ was risen from the dead, he, um, he took captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. Now, this, these gifts are the gifts of Christ. We learn in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of the Spirit. We know the gifts of the Spirit, prophesying and, uh, and speaking in tongues and words of knowledge, words of wisdom, the gifts of healings, all those things we're going to learn about in, in depth this year. But the gifts of the Spirit are different than the gifts of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to us to heal the sick, to, to, to prophesy, to speak in tongues. But then Christ himself gave some to be these things that we call the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are called the ascension gifts. When Christ, was, when Christ resurrected from the dead, he literally had rights to humanity and he now had the ability to handpick and select people that he would choose to reveal himself through in one of these five ways. So Jesus himself was an apostle. Jesus himself was a prophet. Jesus himself was an evangelist. Jesus himself was a pastor. Jesus himself was a teacher. So when he died and he rose again, he said, I've given gifts to men, meaning that I've given, I've sent some people to now represent me in one of these five categories. So now notice it says he's gave some to be, which means that not everyone gets to be. But he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For how long? The next verse says he's given us these gifts for the equipping of the saints, for believers to equip the saints, for the equipping or the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. So as long as the body needs to be edified, there will always still need to be Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And it takes all five to get the job done. That's why I said it's not enough just to say, okay, well, we call our leaders pastors or cool. Even if you want to call your leader that, that's fine. But it's important that you recognize that when these types of leadership all have different perspectives, they have different orientations, they have different styles, they have different flavors, they have different approaches. And um, I feel like so many people, because this conversation has not been much, have not, have really, has not really been um, emphasized, has not been curated in most of our churches, we just try to pigeonhole people into one or two categories. And when that happens, you might have somebody, I've seen people who, who became pastors who are really evangelists. But they say you should be a pastor because you can preach. It's not the same. So they have a strong evangelistic anointing, strong evangelistic thrust. They have passion for souls, passion for cities, passion for people. And um, they, drive, they, they build their church from an evangelistic orientation. And so all they're focused on is going out and reach, reaching souls and reaching people. And there's oh, nothing wrong with that. 
But then what begins to happen is that when those people need shepherding, that evangelist can't do it. Because <laughs> that's not what his, his orientation is. And then when you don't do the thing that you are called to do and you try to do something else, you start feeling bitter and angry and you start blaming people and you, you get out of delight. Do you know that when you do the thing God called you to do, it is the most pleasuring thing in the world? Yes. That God created you for pleasure and he designed you to enjoy what you were called to do? Yes. And a good way to know you're not called to do something is that you don't have any pleasure doing it. You know you're not called to kids if when you work with kids, you can't stand it. <laughs> it's very simple. Whatever you were created to do, you will love to do that thing. Your eyes will light up. Joy will exude out of you. People will see you and it becomes attractional. And there are things you love to do right now that I don't want to do. See that? Something. It's this thing called the body of Christ. So beautiful that every one of us are called to do something. And it may not be preaching, but you are called to do something. And that thing, if you do it, nobody else needs to like it. But if you like it, you have a passion for it. That means God anointed you to do that thing. Come on. You see people in choirs, they don't want to sing, but they're on the choir. <laughs> it's not your grace, right? On top of that, they can't sing. So we definitely know it's not what you're called to do. <laughs> But whatever God calls you to do, you're going to love to do it, and you'll be good at it. It's very important that you recognize that. You need to write that down somewhere. Whatever God called you to do, you're going to, you're number one, you're going to love it. And number two, you'll be great at it. You'll be great at it. <laughs> Doesn't mean that you won't have challenges. Doesn't mean you're not going to have times when you feel you know, discouraged in what you're doing. But even in that, when you, when you, you might feel tired even, but even when you're tired, you still have a want to. You still have a passion, right? You, I, know I'm, I, I know this is what I love to do. Paul was in prison. He got beat, stripped, shipwrecked. He said, I'm going to keep, still keep preaching because I know this is what I was called to do. Can you imagine Jesus, the Bible says when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame, endured the cross. <laughs> well, notice what the word was, the joy. Jesus knew what he was born to do. And because he knew what he was walking in was what he was called to do, his Absolute surrender was still a joy. <laughs> That's why if you don't, if you cannot, if you have not found the thing you're willing to die for, then you don't know what you're living for. Because it's surrender that actually reveals, it's, it's actually the pathway to personal fulfillment. Whatever you can give your life to is what you were actually born to do. <laughs> Most people try to find fulfillment in fulfillment. 
It doesn't work that way. Personal fulfillment will not be found searching for personal fulfillment. You won't find happiness trying to look for happiness. You won't find peace trying to find peace. No. When you seek the kingdom first, when you seek the purposes of God for your life first, when you seek the will of God for your life first, when you decide to seek God's plans for your life first and you live according to his plans, you pursue his will, then all those other things become added to you. You're going to find joy. You're going to find peace. You're going to find that your life is, 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 you feel fulfillment in your life because you're, you're walking according to God's righteousness, not your own. The minute you try to go outside of God to find joy, to find delight, find happiness, all of it is temporary. You can't sustain it. See? So we emphasize, and I want to emphasize the kingdom of God to you. And I, I preach the kingdom to you because I know that whatever you want in life right now, everybody in this room has different wants. You have different aspirations, different dreams in your heart, whatever you want to accomplish. And it is God's desire to see your desires fulfilled. He said, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desires fulfilled is a tree of life. It's God's desire for you to see your desires fulfilled, but the way your desires get fulfilled is by you seeking God's kingdom first. Amen. See, the kingdom is different in the world. The world will tell you, go after what you want. Do whatever you want. The kingdom says, do whatever God wants. Do what God wants, and after you do God's will, everything else you want will come. Do I need to say it another way? <laughs> well, back to what I want to say, I was saying about equipping you. God asked me the question earlier. He says, what are you equipped? What are you? He's, we talked about equipping in gifts and callings and careers last week. How many people enjoy that word? About your, your calling is greater than your career. If you missed that, you need to listen to it. But then the, one, the next thing is that the Lord says, now what are we equipping the saints with? What are we equipping the saints with? What are the tools? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they exist to equip the saints, the church, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body or the building up of the body of Christ. Oh, and like I said, we're shifting from the pastoral paradigm, which is old paradigm that should come and get cared for, and we're moving to an apostolic paradigm or five-fold paradigm, I should say, where you are, we are equipping you, not just shepherding you, but we are equipping you. We are giving you tools. We are giving you ammunition. We are giving you resources so that you can be empowered, you can be built up to actually do the work of ministry and live out your God-given purpose on the earth. That if you just, it's not just coming to church and just hoping that pastor will pray for you and you live however you choose to live your life from Monday, from Monday through Saturday and just expecting prayers to just superimpose all of the days of wastedness, of, of, of procrastination, of laziness over your life and expect for prayers to just keep being a lifeline for you. 
a life support for you. No, God wants to empower you because his, his design for the church has always been that we will preach the gospel, we would make disciples who will disciple nations. That's, that sounds like world changers to me. That God will raise up people of influence. God will raise up people of significance. High quality, high caliber people who know how to change the world. To make disciples who will disciple nations, win nations. That's the great commission. Come on. We have a great commission to live up to. And a pastoral paradigm won't get it done. You seeing this? Until we realize, listen, God is raising up a people in New York City, in Brooklyn, called Hungry for God, that's going to be an apostolic equipping training center that's going to empower people to walk in the ways of God, to walk in the supernatural, that knows their responsibility of bringing heaven to earth, that's not waiting for permission from a man to tell them what to do, but they're going to walk in the anointing, walk in the glory, and they're going to change the world. They're going to step into all the spheres of influence. They're going to step into every area of life, whether they are stay-at-home moms or whether they're police officers, whether they are on entrepreneurs, they are going to bring the kingdom wherever they go and they're going to change the world and they're going to make disciples in the process. And people are going to look at you and say, I want to walk with you. I want to do what you're doing. I want to get in this blessing. There's something on your life that I don't see anywhere else. I want this. I want to walk in that. Come on. That's what Jesus is waiting for. And we've been waiting for Jesus and Jesus is waiting on us. <laughs> on just to do something Jesus and I'm waiting for you to do something come on say Lord I'm ready <laughs> send me so we pray Lord use me Lord use me Lord use me and as soon as you say Lord use me you need to say Lord train me because now you need to be equipped. If I was to give you a fork and a spoon and a straw for a war, <laughs> I just equipped you for the wrong situation. You were equipped to eat. And there's a war outside. Right? Your equipment, your equipment will determine your efficiency, right? what you're capable or able to do. You would have to be equipped with the right tools, and then we have to train you with the tools. We need to develop you with the tools so that you can execute well, that you can do a good job, amen? And because we are, God is building something on the earth that requires each and every believer to be equipped, we have to recognize that we all personally have a responsibility to make ourselves available for God to train us in the things that he's called us to do. It's not enough just to know you're anointed to be a prophet. It's not enough. Then you need to be trained in the area of the prophetic. Amen? You can be anointed to teach, but you need to be taught to know how to teach. Right? Just because you have a, a gift or anointing. You've met so many people that have an anointing to sing, but they got to develop their gift of singing. 
development and training. I don't, I don't know why, at what point that, again, that evaded the church where we just, just felt, well, if I'm anointed, I don't need, I got, the, I got the Holy Ghost. I got the glory. Say, I, no, it doesn't work that way. Say, I need to be trained and developed so that I can be a master at my craft. See that? That's the type of mindset we need to have, that I want to be the best at what I do. And that can't happen if you're not being trained. Companies, organizations all around the world spend thousands of dollars to train their employees, to train, right? And they'll bring in trainers and pay them $50,000, $100,000 to train their staff. And in the church, we just show up <laughs> and pray and ask God to do something in hopes that something will happen. No. If the world understands this, that I want to be competitive, to be lucrative, to be effective, that our people must be trained, must be equipped. The church who represents God Almighty, how much more of a responsibility should we have to have an excellent spirit and desire to be the best, to be great at what we're called to do? Come on. Say, I desire to be the best. At what God called me to do. Right? So I got I to gotta help you understand this thing. What are we equipping you with? What, are the, what's the, what is the responsibility of fivefold? What is the number one thing that we equip you with? Now, I, I, can't, I can't get into everything, but I'm going to show you what's the number one thing that we, the fivefold leadership, has the responsibility of equipping you with. All right? Jump with me to Matthew chapter 16. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 16. Now it's going to get heavy. So you, tell your neighbor, it's going to get heavy. All right? I like heavy. Matthew 16. It's going to get deep. Verse 13. Verse 13. Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some said to them, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He said to them, But who do you say? that I am. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Now, I want you to realize this is what happened. I just noticed this this morning, actually, when I looked at this, that the, the first question Jesus asked was a general question, that he, he said, Who do, what are people saying that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man was a term that's recognized 
that was are reserved for the Messiah or the Savior of the world. And so the Jews understood the term the Son of Man to be a term that was only reserved for whoever the Christ may be. Jesus said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, so that who say that who um, who do men say the Son of Man am? And they start they started off by giving general knowledge, general information. They said what all, what other people were saying. So he went from a general statement, and then he made it a personal one, right? That when whenever God begins to deal with us, He may have you start with general knowledge, but then He wants to bring it in so that you can have a personal knowledge, a personal revelation. So they went from general assumption to personal revelation. Notice he says, Simon, after he said, well, who do you say that I am? The only person that responded was Simon Peter. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Now, why would the, this, the question makes sense if and only if Jesus never told them who he was. This is Matthew 16. This is 16 chapters of, thir- well, you can say uh, 13 chapters of them walking with Jesus. And in these 13 chapters, Jesus never had this conversation with them. They were walking with him. And they wasn't sure. They weren't sure who he was. All they had were general assumptions. Now, about God is a. It's important that you realize is, what you know about God is assumption. But what you know from God is revelation. What you know about God is is assumption. And you don't know God until God makes himself known to you. Because they walked with him personally. But they still weren't sure who he was. Why? Because Jesus said they were lacking something. They knew what other people thought about him. They had assumption, but they didn't have revelation. Somebody say revelation. Revelation. Peter, you are, Peter, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh And blood has not revealed this to you. Books didn't reveal this to you. Uh, 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 Teachers didn't reveal this to you. No man told you this. But my Father in heaven revealed this to you. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is where I'm going to talk about vision. Who is building the church? Jesus said, I will build my church. 
was it Psalm, Psalm 127 said, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. My job is not to build the church. I'm a part of what he's building. <laughs> I'm just as part of a member of the church as you are. I'm just in a different capacity. You see? But Jesus is building something. Hallelujah. The reason why we're here is because he's building something. And he found it fit that he will include you in what he's building. You didn't stumble here. You didn't bring yourself here. He, Jesus brought you here. <laughs> yeah. And when something is truly God-ordained, God-initiated, it will have the, the, the it, it, we, we have to right here to steward our, my hands are off what he's building. I'm only here to steward what he's building. Jesus said we are co-laborers with him. So he allows us to partner in what he is building, but rest assured the Lord is building a house. That's why I never feel offended if people choose to leave. It's not my building. Whoever he sends in here, I can't get mad who he sends. Whoever he sends is who he chooses to send. The wheat and tears will grow together. It's not my job to expose who's the wheat, I mean, and who's the tears. <laughs> it's not my job to find out who's the, who's the witch in here and who, and who, who the devil sent in here to try to, to try to destroy the church. He's building the church. And whoever he sends in here, he's sent with a purpose in mind. All I know is what we carry. And so whoever he sends in here, they're going to receive what we carry. Let the witches come. We got the glory. They're going to realize they practice their power don't work no more. Right? Because I know what we carry. And I know what he's building. I know what he's doing. I don't want to get in the way of what he's doing. <laughs> My thing, I want to know what he's doing. And we're going to build around what he's doing. But we're not, the Bible says there's no other foundation that any man can lay but that which has already been laid in Christ. Yeah. So I'm not building anything that I want to build. I'm not building the kind of church I want to build. I'm building what he wants to build. And we are partnering with him to build what he's doing in the earth. Hallelujah. That takes the pressure off me. I don't know. I, that's no pressure on me. That's why I'm always smiling. I know my place. <laughs> so who is building the church? Jesus is building the church. Now, my next question is, what is he building it with? Not what he's building with. He's building with us. But what is he building the church with? What did he show in the prior verse? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this rock, I will build my church. So what was the rock that he said I'm going to build my church on? Revelation. 
Revelation knowledge. Say revelation knowledge. Unless a church has access to revelation knowledge, they cannot build anything. Where does it come from? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but where? <laughs> the Father. So, as much as I'm teaching and preaching to you, I can't give you revelation. The revelation has to come from the Father himself. That's why when Bianca was singing what she was singing, open my eyes, open my ears. All I can do is ask the Lord, give me the ears to hear and the eyes to see so that I can get a revelation. But unless you give me a revelation, I can't get one. I can't give myself a revelation of salvation. I can't give myself a revelation of the, of the deeper things of God. That has to come from God himself. Yeah, say that. Thank you for revelation. Where does it come from? The Father. Hearing the voice of the Father. Watch this. Hearing the voice of God and receiving revelation knowledge is the single most important skill a church needs to have. Hearing the voice of God and receiving revelation knowledge is the single most important skill a church must possess. Because if we don't have revelation knowledge and we're not hearing, hearing from God, if there's no revelation, then what do we have? Religion. <laughs> Tradition. Assumptions. Customs. We just pass it down over and over again. Do the same things over and over again and get no results. Nothing. So you see where there is no, and I'm going to show you that there are certain, in the five-fold category, there are certain offices that have a responsibility to make sure revelation knowledge is still flowing towards the church. Those two office gifts are apostles and prophets. They are revelation-based ministries. So if you remove apostles and prophets from the conversation and all you have are pastors, evangelists, and teachers, then what you have is no revelation. Now look at what revelation does. Let me show you. Look at what revelation does. Look at the next thing Jesus said. He said, I will build my church on this rock of revelation and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If there is no revelation from the heaven to the church, the church cannot advance. The church cannot stop what hell is doing. Because the number one thing hell wants to do is keep you far away from revelation. Hell understands that if a church gets eyes to see, ears to hear, and they wake up to the revelation that's coming from heaven, They can no longer operate in business. They can no longer stay in business. Hell remains in business wherever there is ignorance. The number one threat to the church is ignorance, not the devil. 
ignorance. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. Who wants to make sure you don't have knowledge? It's not information knowledge. He's talking about revelation knowledge. My people are destroyed because they don't have revelation knowledge from me. They don't know what to do. And what the enemy does to keep you distracted is by feeding you with information of this world, knowledge in this world, opinions in this world, the news in this world, the media in this world. You get so interested and so engaged and so wrapped up in what's going on in the world that you have no clue of what's happening in heaven. And you can't bring the kingdom into the world because you're worried about Trump in the wall. <laughs> I'm not saying you, know, you shouldn't know what's going on in the world. But you have to recognize that the enemy's job is to keep you ignorant and distracted to the current events of heaven. What is heaven saying now? See, that's why when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeding out of the mouth of God. Why? As daily as we, we want bread and we want food to eat, is as daily and as often we need to come to the Father and say, Lord, speak to me. Give me revelation for today. Give me revelation for the hour I'm living in. Give me revelation for this moment, this situation. Give us our daily bread. The number one danger in the church is ignorance. Hell's number one assignment is to prevent revelation from God to enter into your heart and mind. It needs, hell needs you ignorant. A church can't grow up or mature into her full stature without receiving revelation knowledge. Let's keep going. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So revelation number one, it allows the church to advance the kingdom. Where there's no revelation, the church stops growing. Where there's no revelation, the church stops advancing. Where there's no revelation, the church stops prevailing against the gates of hell. But the next thing Jesus also says, this is what happens when a church gets revelation. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So watch this. Revelation is the key that opens up heaven and earth. Revelation is the key that unlocks and opens up doors and realms in the earth. Revelation is the key. Literally is the key. This is why if you have no revelation in an area, you have no access. If you don't have revelation, a per see, you, you, you unlock healing. When you get a revelation about healing, you unlock prosperity. When you get a revelation from God about prosperity, you unlock deliverance 
when you get a revelation from God on deliverance. Whatever you get a revelation about, you now have an authority to operate in. Without no revelation, you don't have the key. You have no authority. So if you want to grow in an area, let's just say I want to, I want to start healing the sick. I want to see people healed. You need, a rev, you need to start getting revelation in the area of healing so that you can see healings. When you get the revelation, you get the keys. It's simple. And then whatever you bind on earth, you'll be able to bind in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because keys symbolize authority. That's it. So I know how much authority you have in an area based on a revelation you carry in that area. I remember when I used to watch Benny Hinn, and I'm like, how is he doing all this stuff? Is this real? Is he, is he? I, would, I, would watch, I would watch Benny Hinn when I was uh, getting ready to go to school. He used to come on at 6.30, and I would just watch his, his crusades and watch the people flying over the stages and, <laughs> and, you know, seeing the people get out the wheelchairs. I'm like, is this real? Swinging the jackets and people falling. I'm like, what manner of man is this? So I'm like, are, are people <laughs> just that naive? Or is it really something powerful going on? And then I remember I was flicking through the channel one day and I, I was hearing Benny, because none of those, in none of those videos, it was a teaching. It was just this, just seeing him doing all that stuff. And then I remember turning somewhere, and he was actually teaching. And when I heard the stuff coming out of his mouth, I said, all right, it makes sense. Because he was saying things I had never heard anybody else say. He had revelation knowledge. And it made sense if he was to walk in a level of ministry and demonstration that others didn't have because he had a revelation to match it. That's when I began to realize that if, if I want to mature in an area and see myself moving in things that Christ says I can move in, I must go to him and ask for revelation in that area so that I can have the keys to actually utilize it. Amen? Amen? If you want to see demonstration, you need revelation. Watch this. Everything that is heavenly comes to us first as a mystery. Everything that comes to us from heaven first comes to us as a mystery. Jesus was a mystery to his own followers. See, your gifts, your callings, it's a mystery. We serve a God of mystery. You see, the purpose of revelation is to open our eyes so that that mystery will no longer remain a mystery to us. When Peter's eyes are open and he got a revelation about Jesus, the identity of Jesus was no longer a mystery. They knew who he was. But it's important you get a hold of this. Because your potential is a mystery. Your gifts, your callings is a mystery. Your destiny is a mystery. You are a mystery. You don't even know who you are. 
Everything that God has created requires a revelation because it's all in mystery right now. <laughs> Say, God is a God of mystery. Everything that is heavenly comes to us first as a mystery. Okay? What is it? Um, what is a mystery? Write this down. A mystery is something that is difficult to understand. A mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand. Another definition says a mystery is that which can only be understood by the initiated. I like that one a lot better. <laughs> that which can only be understood by the initiated. Unless you are initiated, you cannot, things cannot be revealed to you. God initiates you, tells you to come up, come up higher, come to me. I want to show you something. I want to make something known to you. you like your calling, your purpose, your destiny. All these things are mystery. Bible says there are even angels that are around us, and it's a mystery to us. We don't know if it's, a, it's an angel, but angels come alongside us every day. And the Bible says, you be careful how you entertain strangers, because you might be entertaining um, angels unaware. Mystery. Everything that comes from heaven is first a mystery. Now, how do we, how do we identify what, that which is a mystery and that, how do we begin to, to discover it? The Bible says, Proverbs 25, 2, Ryan's favorite verse. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Why does God keep himself in mystery? Why did, why did God leave Jesus a mystery? You know, right after that, that conversation, when, when he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and uh, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Look at the next verse. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Keep it a mystery. Wasn't his job was to show the world that he was the Messiah? Why would Jesus then say, okay, you know who I am now, but don't tell anybody? Ah, I like that. Slater said you got to own your keeps. <laughs> it's the glory of God to conceal things, but it's the glory... Oh, it's the glory of kings to search it out. That God wants you to seek. He wants you to ask. He wants you to dig. There's something about hungry people that God is attracted to. God wants to keep things a mystery to you because he now exposes our own hunger levels. How much do you really want? So as we say, it's not that God is hiding things from us. He's hiding things for us. Whew. It's not that he's hiding things from you. He's hiding it for you. He wants to see who are the people that are hungry. Who are the people that are willing to investigate and to dig and have curiosity in their hearts. Who are willing to stay up all night if they have to. To dig into the word. To spend time in his presence. To get a revelation that will change their life forever. 
One revelation will transform your life. I'm telling you. You see, what the world calls, calls a breakthrough is simply the entrance of revelation in the world. When there's, a, when there's a medical breakthrough, it's because someone got a revelation in the realm of medicine. And when they applied it, they got a breakthrough. When there's a technological breakthrough, it's because someone got a revelation in the area of technology. When there's a breakthrough in statistics, in society, it's that someone got a revelation from above and they brought it to earth. When revelation hits the earth, it's called a breakthrough. Woo! Hallelujah! If you need a breakthrough in your family, you need revelation to hit your life. And this is the what, number one thing we need. Was it? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Proverbs, I mean, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Are you keeping up? The secret things belong to the Lord. That which is a mystery belongs to God. But those things which are revealed belongs to you gives you keys whatever he reveals gives to you you get to keep it you own your keeps but you 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 own your keeps because you put in the work why because you got to be a good steward of whatever you got from God and if you're not willing to do the work he doesn't have to give you it because you have to be mature you have to be responsible. You don't give a five-year-old keys to the house. <laughs> right? If I give you keys too, too soon, you'll probably lose those keys. And somebody else can pick up those keys. And they can come into the house and steal from the house. If, uh, if that's why people want revelation and levels they're not ready to handle. Revelation is always progressive. Revelation is always progressive. That's why we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We go from one level of faith to another level of faith. But those levels are contingent on revelation. So the more revelation you get, you get bumped up to a new level. But along with that revelation comes the challenges, that the fight that's necessary. Come on. You got to pay a price for revelation. I want to prophesy to the nations. Well, you know what comes along with that revelation? See? Because the revelation comes with responsibility. You have to have the, le the maturity level necessary to manage the revelation you get from God. See, I love revelation, but I understand the revelation that I have, I have a responsibility to steward it. And the more faithful I am to the revelation he already gave me is the more he can then pour more into me. Some of you got revelation about stuff and you've never done anything with it. Help us, Lord. 
you, you, I'm trying to pick my words because I got to hurry up. <laughs> Write this down. Making mysteries known is the greatest calling of the church. Making mysteries known. If I had time, I'll show you. Ephesians chapter 3. You can read that in your own time. But the Bible says that we are called to make mysteries known. That this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said that we are called to not only make the mysteries known to people, but to the principalities and powers that's controlling and influencing the world. <laughs> so when I get revelation, I now, not only do I build the church or I can build people up, but then I can also tear down principalities and powers, and I can tell those domineering, demonic, ruling spirits in areas, you no longer have authority because I now got keys, and whatever I bind in earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever I loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If I get a revelation of prosperity, I can lose prosperity where there's poverty, and I will begin to see poverty change. If I get a revelation of healing, I can go where sickness was, and I can lose healing and see healing break out. Whatever you have authority for, whatever you have the revelation for, you have the ability to release on the earth. And God says the church is here to make mysteries known, to make the secret things known, to make that which is in the unseen realm, that which Gentiles and unbelievers don't have access to. You have access to the Father to receive these keys and make them known to the earth. Hallelujah. You're one revelation away from your greatest breakthrough. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.